million times, but for some reason, um, we had our connect group on Monday, and uh, sometimes at connect, uh, what we do, I like to, to, to get a little passage out, and we have a bit of a read, and we just sit there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we read, and we think about it, and then we just share our thoughts with each other, we sort of do that occasionally, and usually it's in line with what's preached on the Sunday, so we're taking what we're hearing on Sunday, and then we're trying to apply it. What does this mean to us practically? What is God saying to us? What do we do? And we were looking at this passage on gratefulness. Uh, it's the story of the ten lepers that are cleansed by Jesus. And what's really interesting is I've read it a million times, and even that night I read it, and I thought, you know what, this will be a good carry-on, a good follow-on from last week's message on gratefulness. But then as I read it, I, I felt uncomfortable with where I was going with it and I couldn't work out why I felt uncomfortable and then as God usually does at uh, about midnight on Friday a penny dropped for me that there was something in there that I hadn't noticed before and so I'm really excited this morning to, to talk about that and uh, hopefully you're as excited about this as what I was and still am as I mull over this whole concept and idea in my head. Luke chapter 18 uh, chapter 17 sorry verse 11 to 19 I'm reading at the moment from the New Living Translation Bible so uh, if it's slightly different to your New King James or American, whatever, New Living Translation, it keeps the thought process the same, just has, has, has uh, more modernised a few of the, the simple words and phrases. But it says this. It says, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. So Jesus, this is, this is a couple of years into his ministry, two and a half years, whatever. He's only going to be alive for a short period of time and he's, he's heading off to Jerusalem. This is the journey where he's heading off to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be crucified. So he's heading off for the... For, I think he went to Jerusalem three times in his, in his recorded ministry and this is the last time where he knew uh, I'll be staying there this time and, and this will be the fulfilment of the plan and purpose of God for my life. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. The priests in that day were also kind of, they weren't medical doctors, but they were prescribers. So if somebody came out in blotches, pink or white blotches, or something that may have been uh, leprous looking, they would be taken to the priest. And the priest would examine them and do a few tests. And the priest would either go, no, it's not leprosy, it's something else. Take two Panadol, a couple of Nurofen and a Band-Aid, off you go. Or whatever the equivalent of Panadol and Nurofen and Band-Aids were back then. Or the priest would go, yes, you have leprosy. Now we need to isolate you from the general community. And lepers were sent out to live outside uh, the boundaries of the city. They were only allowed to associate with other lepers, hence you will get the terminology leper colonies. They would gather together and they would uh, live together and provide companionship and so on. Their families were allowed to go out to them to provide food for them and to look after them and the basics and so on. But uh, once again, if a family member got contaminated and was, bang, you're out there too. So quite often they would go to the edge of the, the city and they would leave stuff there and the family member would come and they would go back. So it's a very isolated existence. Leprosy back in the day too was also considered to be a, a curse of God. Leprosy was considered a form of judgment. So if you contaminate leprosy back in Bible times, uh, they viewed that as you must have done something really, really bad and this is the judgment of God upon you. Um, so you can imagine how wild it was when Jesus would walk into town and would heal a leper. It wasn't just the healing of a person physically. In the mindset of the people, here's a guy undoing the judgment of God. 
Here's a guy that is so powerful that he can walk up to these, this situation, this leprosy, and by cleansing a leper, what he's doing is he's actually undoing the very judgment of God himself. Who is this man? So you can understand the, the mindset of, of the Pharisees and of the people of the day being confused and bewildered and perplexed about this man because we see things from a, a normal perspective, but they saw things so much deeper. Who is it? Who can walk out there and when God pronounces judgment on you, who can unpronounce that judgment? Well, only God can do that. And so Jesus is out there and these ten lepers are standing on a hill and they call out to him and he says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I love that verse. I don't want to preach on it and I'm not going to stick around it today. But I love as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Jesus didn't stand up there and go, okay, you guys are now healed. Now go and show yourself to the priest. He'll give you a certificate and you can go back and join your family. He didn't say that, he just said, go and see the priest. And so these guys in faith just went and did what Jesus said to do. And how often does healing take place in our life when we just do what we know we should be doing? And we just go out and we just do the basics and we do the stuff that we know we should be doing. I don't want to, that's not my message today, but I just think it's a fantastic point. And he looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And here's Jesus' response. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Once again, there's a side issue. When it says that the lepers were made whole and it says that this man was healed, they're two different Greek words that talk about a different degree of healing and wholeness. So God in his grace and mercy, Jesus has healed, uh, uh, made whole, ten, healed ten lepers. But this guy here, by his response of coming back and giving glory to God and so on, uh, something took place in his life that was above and beyond what took place in the lives of the other nine. Again, fantastic point, but it's not what I want to talk about today. I was reading this and I was thinking about this whole issue of gratefulness and thankfulness and I thought, isn't it wonderful? This man comes back and he gives thanks to God. This is my first thought was this man comes back and he gives thanks to God. Now, where are all the other guys? Well, ten have healed. So I'm imagining the picture. They're up there on a hill saying, make us whole, master, make us whole. And Jesus says, go to the priest. So they turn around and go, he spoke to us. Wow, that's, that's amazing enough as it is. We know this guy's reputation. He's a big shot. And he's just spoken to us and told us to do something. Let's do it. And they start marching. And they get to a certain point and one of them goes, OMG, look at, the, look at that. And the other ones go, that's amazing. Oh, oh, I got it too. What about you? I've got it too. Oh, look, oh, we're healed. There must have been a moan in the journey when they suddenly got excited and realized we are healed. We've been, the leprosy has stopped growing. I've got feeling in that part of my body again. And at that point, one of them said, what do we do? What do we do? And they said, one says, well, let's go to the priest like he said. We've got to go, because we're healed. But until that priest signs off, we can't go back to our family. We can't go back to our jobs. I can't hug my children. I can't go back to my business and put things back in order because the guy running, it's a clown at the moment and I'm losing so much money. You know? I've got to go to the priest to get that sorted so I can go back to my life. One of them said, well, hang on a second. Why don't we go back to Jesus and say, hey, just want to let you know it worked. It worked. Thank you, Lord. And so they would have stood there with these different opinions about what they should do. And we know the end result of the story. Nine of them 
went off to the priest and we never hear of him again. One of them goes and he finds Jesus. Now, think about this. It wouldn't have been an easy thing. Jesus is heading into a village. These guys are on the outskirts of a village. They take off on their journey. This, is, this didn't just happen in the space of a minute. There's a time frame here. So Jesus says, go to the priest. They start walking. Jesus continues his journey into the city. And by the time he gets into the city, and he's already got a crowd of people around him, this leper, ex-leper, comes back to him. We know that. Listen to the wording. In verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus said, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So Jesus is not talking to the man. He's talking to a crowd of people that are around him. He's looking over the guy's head going, didn't I heal ten lepers? Where are the other nine? He's speaking this to a crowd. And then he turns and he addresses that particular gentleman and he says, stand up. And then Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. What struck me as I was reading this story was I've always approached it from the perspective of it's about 10 people that were ungrateful and one that was grateful. And I've always read it that way and I've always thought about it. It's a lesson in gratefulness. But Jesus saw it differently than I see it. So when I balance it up, I go, well, Jesus' perspective, my perspective, who's right? I came close, but in the end, I decided Jesus must be right. Look at what Jesus says when the man returns to say thank you. Jesus says in verse 18, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I see a man giving thanks. Jesus said, no, no, no. This man is giving glory to God. This man is not just coming to thank me. He is giving glory to God. And there's a big difference between saying thank you and glorifying God. How many of you know that part of our role as believers, part of the reason the church exists, part of the reason the nation of Israel was gathered and blessed of God was so that as a nation they would give glory to God. So that God, people would look at them and glorify not the nation but glorify God. So I think we live in a very... If we're not careful, we can live in a very self-centered Pentecostal environment where we flip everything around and it's all about God exists to give us glory and to serve us and to bless us. And it kind of stops there. You see, these 10 lepers, they thought that getting healed was the end of the story. Okay, Jesus has healed us. That's the full stop. He's done his bit. And all they did as a response to that was they just went back to their life. They got what they wanted out of God and thought, that's the end of the sentence, end of the chapter. Now I just want to go back to my life. How many, we can be like that. Let's, let's be real. God, I'm really, really sick, and I'm pressing into God, and then God comes through and he miraculously heals me, and then what's my response to that healing? I just want to go back to my life. Why do I want to be healed? Just to go back to my life. God, I'm in this massive financial hole, this big pit, and I'm, Lord, I'm crying and I'm begging and I'm doing everything responsibly and I'm giving and I'm tithing and everything. And God comes through and, and fills that, that hole, fills that pit. And what's my response? Well, I just go back to life as it was before that happened. Because I see the blessing is the full stop. You see? It's so much more than that. The end result is not that God would do what he does God does what he does so that the end result would be we would give glory to him 
for what he did. We would give glory to God for the things that God does. I've read this verse a million times and I've never seen it till about midnight Friday when it popped into my head. I thought, well, Jesus, you see things different to me. You saw a man who came to give glory to God, not just a man who came to say thank you for giving me something, but you saw a man who came to give glory to God. Isaiah 43.7 says this. It says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for what? For my glory. Everyone who was called by my, my name. This was a prophecy given to the people of Israel. Saying, call them together. They had a checkered past and a checkered history, Israel. They loved God. They hated God. They loved God. They hated God. They worshipped him. They didn't worship him. They worshipped him today. They worshipped someone else. Tomorrow. I mean, they were all over the shop. No different to a lot of, lot, of, lot of nations and people and individuals today. We're exactly the same as them, you know? Riding, riding high when the wave's up here and when the wave's not going the direction we want, we're angry at God. Anyway, he's saying, everyone who was called by my name. In the Old Testament, that was Israel. In the New Testament, who is it? The church. We call upon the name of him. We will consider ourselves called by his name. Everyone who is called by my name whom I have created for my glory. For my glory. I've created you for my glory. God tried to gather Israel together and bless them for his glory. Not for this, for his glory. God gathers the church. He saved me. Why did he save me? Not so that there was a full stop at the end of my salvation. He saved me and then says to me, I've saved you for my glory. For my glory. Do I reflect that glory to him? Am I the kind of person that wants to take that glory and reflect it back to him? Or am I happy just to be blessed? Am I happy just to get from God whatever he wants to hand to me, whatever prayer I can get answered, and is that the full stop for me? Or do I understand that everything God does in my life, starting with my salvation, takes place for his glory? It takes place for his glory, not for mine. Not for my glory, for his. Um, Psalm 106, verse 8. It says, Even so, he saved them to defend the honour of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. He saved them, why? It's not he saved them full stop so that they wouldn't get hurt, so that they wouldn't be downcast. He didn't, it, there's no full stop there. He saved them for a bigger picture than just their sake. He saved them to show his glory and to show his honour in the earth. Hey, I'm God. I am God. This is who I am. 1 Corinthians 10.31 When the Corinthian church were arguing over what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing and can we worship on this day and can you wear these clothes and can you drink this thing and can you eat this food and you do all this stuff. And Paul sums it all up. He says this. He says, look, at the end of the day, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the what? The glory of who? God. Not the glory of yourself. Not the glory of your group. Not the glory of your sect. Do what you're doing for the glory of God. Everything you do is done for the glory of God. Are we pushing the glory back to God? Or are we saying the event itself, the answer to prayer is the full stop? Or is that just a comma that leads us to giving God glory? The nine lepers thought it was a full stop. The one said, no, no, there's more to it than that. And we need to give glory to God. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 says this. Speaking to the congregation, the church, he says, do you have a gift of speaking? Then if so, speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. That in all things, 
Who may be glorified? God. In all things that God may be glorified through Jesus. You see, God wants us to petition him, to request him, to receive answers, to receive blessing, but that's not the end of the story. We're to take that blessing, flip it over, give glory to God so that the nations and the world around us see how good he is, not how good we are. Why is it so important that I live a life that glorifies God above glorifying me? I'll give you one real simple reason. I can't save anyone. So I don't care how great you think I am. If I can get you to experience how great God is, now that's going to change your life. I might entertain you. I might give you something to do on a quiet night. But I can't save a human soul. So it doesn't matter how great you think I am. Whatever's happened here, I want to point you to the one that gave it to me. Because if you get to know him, that can change everything. We exist to give glory back to God for the things that he does with us. Now, why is it so important to do that? Well, for that very reason. The answer to man's problem lies in God. It doesn't lie in me. It doesn't lie in my group, my denomination. It doesn't lie in my building. It lies in God. And so we need to be people that reflect and give back Glory to God. I went away last weekend. I can say it now. I didn't realize Jordan was going, but he's gone. So I can say this now because he's not here. Um, I went away with Jordan and Johnny and Caleb and a whole bunch of young people yesterday. We played a touch football tournament up at um, Wollombar before it got flooded out this morning. But we played yesterday, just a, a one-day event. We played five games in, uh, in five hours. So if you see me struggling like I've got chafe or something, I do. There's a reason for that. I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, God, heal me, heal me. Anyway, and I should feel that way, by the way. I'm 45 and I'm playing against 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I should feel like that. Now, having said that, leading try scorer. Please, please hold your applause. Hold your applause. Now, I say that, I say that not to glorify myself. <laughs> I say that because when we were coming home, I said to my son, Jordan, I said... Jordan, I, I, I think maybe the body's saying to me, it's time to start to run around with older people and, and maybe I'm on that cusp of going, I just can't, maybe, maybe I've got to admit I'm struggling now to keep up with the 19, 20-year-olds. And I've moved pretty good, I'm, I'm okay. But something yesterday said to me, oh, maybe you're just at that tipping point of life where you... So I said this to Jordan, to my son. And Jordan turned around to me and goes, Dad, you don't need to stop nothing until some of us young kids can score more tries than you can. What was he doing? He gave glory to his father. In that moment, he flipped it around, the blessing of him being in a team and me scoring all these tries and, and making them look good. And he flipped it around and he gave glory to his father. He turned it on its end and gave it back to me. Why is it important to do that with God? Because God changes people's lives and we don't. doesn't matter how great and good we are. God will recommend us and God will bless us and God will do things in our life. But it's not the full stop. It's the comma that leads on to the next sentence. And they gave God the glory. We see it all through the Old Testament. I love the story of, um, of, of Gideon. You know, and he's got this massive amount of men to take on a battle in, in the book of Judges. And you would think, common sense, I mean, isn't that, isn't that a basic of war? I mean, have more people than them. And that, doesn't that increase your chances of winning? Of course it does, you know? And, 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 and God comes to Gideon now and he goes to Gideon, he says, it's crazy to me, but he says to Gideon, he says, I can't let you go out to battle like that because what's going to happen is you're going to win the battle and then Israel will take glory for itself. Because it's not about taking glory for ourselves. 
The victories, the successes in my life are not there for me to go, hey, look how good I am. Look at what I have achieved. Not even there to go, I must be really righteous because look how much God has blessed me. It's all there for me to take those things and to hold a mirror to them and to reflect them back up to God. Don't look at me, hey. You want to know the real secret? See that? He's the one. He's the one. On a practical level, how do we give glory to God? On a practical day-to-day level, what is it that we can do tangibly to reflect glory to God? I've just got two thoughts that I want to put in your head this morning. First of all, we give glory to God through worship. We glorify God through worship. The Bible says here that the man came back to God shouting praise God in verse 15. It says he came back shouting praise God. He was declaring and shouting out his praise to God, giving God glory. You know, worship is a powerful, powerful thing. And what makes it so powerful is because in the midst of that, God is the one being glorified. God is the one that we are reflecting. You know? When we come to church and we worship, I hope you understand what's going on. It's not just the thing that we do at the start of church. You know, there's something really significant. Have you ever wondered why do we do it first? I mean, why don't we just flip it around a bit and we'll finish with worship? We could do that. There's no rule book that says you have to do it that way. I'll tell you why I like worship first. Because the minute we walk in here, I want us to focus straight away on what matters. And that's not me and what I'm going to preach on. That's not the announcements and what's happening throughout the day. I want us to walk in here straight away and go, we're here for the glory of God. We're in this place to glorify him. And if we're going to get something out of today, it's going to come from him. If I'm going to walk out of here transformed and changed today, it's going to be because of him. If I'm going to see something I haven't seen before, it's going to be because of him. So we start with worship for that very reason. But worship is a very, very powerful thing. Jesus said this in John 3, and I'm going to go back two verses from, from Pauline this morning. John 3, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said this just before he said, For God so loved the world. He said, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. There's a connection between Jesus being lifted up and the salvation of people. Without the lifting up of Christ, he's saying there would be no salvation, but I'm going to be lifted up. He's speaking, giving a picture of himself being risen up on the cross and saying, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. Uh, John 12, 32, Jesus said this. He said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. You know, when I was in YWAM, and we had a practice, we used to go out in the streets and do evangelism. And we would go into the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane. And we would also go into Cavill Avenue at the Gold Coast. And one of our evangelism strategies was worship. We were going in and we would just get a guitar and we would just worship in the middle of Cavill Avenue at the Gold Coast. And we would worship in the middle of the Queen Street Mall at the Gold Coast. And let me tell you, it's amazing. If you ever get a chance to go out in public and do worship like that, it's amazing what God does. I could tell you many, many stories of people that were walking by that would stop and that would come back and would just stand there in the midst of it. And while we're worshipping, they just close their eyes and you talk to them afterwards, after we'd finished you know, maybe half an hour of worship, and they'd want to talk. And I'd ask them, you know, why did you stop? And they would say, there was something, I, I, I was so peaceful. There, I felt something as I walked past these people worshipping. And so I had to come and 
be in there. We used to see people regularly at Christmas time in, in Cavill Avenue at the Gold Coast, people giving their hearts to Christ. Not because anyone preached a great message, not because we prayed for anyone, because we gathered and we worshipped. And these people would walk past and they would stop and people would come back. And they would say to us after we finished playing, what was that? we say, what was what? What was that feeling? It's God. When you glorify God, he's there. And people would give their hearts to Christ in the midst of worship. I've said this before, and because we're family, I can be honest with you. And yeah, that's one of the reasons why it, I, find it, um, I find it a little bit sad sometimes when we start worship and I look out and there's five people here. Because I feel like there's so much power in worship. And I often wonder too sometimes when people walk in up the back and we're up here playing worship and there's five people here, what does that communicate to them about how we feel about our God? You know? Is he worth the time to get out of bed five minutes earlier? Is he worth the effort to get here when we start so that we can all lift his name up together? I just wonder sometimes. I'm just speaking to you as a family member here. Nothing to do with who's up the front. But I, I've seen firsthand people that do not know the Lord walk into an atmosphere of worship and that's enough for them to feel there's something about what you guys are on about. It's real. God is real. I love it when we get together and we worship. Second way, I'm finishing up, that we can practically give glory to God is we give glory to God through declaration. We give glory to God by taking that which he's given to us and not being ashamed to attach God's name to the story. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You ever had God do something? Or God be involved in a process? And when you get a chance to share that story, because you're not with the church people or you're outside, you know, and, and, and there's, just, there's this pressure or this temptation or this fear, whatever it is, to just look, share the story, but just leave, leave God off it. Don't, don't attach God to the story. You, you can take God out of every story, can't you? Every blessing that you get in life, if you take God out of it, it, gives glory, it, it always gives glory somewhere. Bottom line, everything that happens in my life, every story, every blessing is going to give glory somewhere. Where's the glory going to go? Is it going to go to me? Is it going to go to the person that happened to come through at the time? Yeah, you know, I, I got uh, my, my last car when I was with Dan Murphy's, the car I've got at the moment. I had a car and it was falling apart on me and, I, and, and, and we had no money. We couldn't buy another car. So we were praying, saying, look, Lord, we really need a car. And we hadn't told anybody. And these friends of ours um, felt called of God to move to Melbourne. So they contacted me and said, oh, look, Al, um, we're going down to Melbourne. We don't want to take uh, two cars because we want to use public transport. Um, would you like a car? Oh, could be God. Uh, how much do you want? No, nothing. You can have it. I thought, <laughs> what's wrong with it? No, I didn't say that. Perfect car. It's fantastic car. It's still running. And so... These people gave me the car. Now, when I went to work at Dan Murphy's back when, when I was still working there, and I remember driving into the car one day, and a guy goes, oh, you've got a new car, have you, Alan? And here's those moments that matter. I said, yeah, I do. He said, oh, um, where'd you buy that? And I thought, now, here's the thing. I can, I can actually share the story and just leave God off and say, well, you know what? A friend of mine is moving to Melbourne, and he wanted to use public transport down there, so they just gave it to me. Full stop. Or I can go, well, hang on a second. God did something in my life for a reason. And that reason is not just that I could have a car. That's just part of the pathway, the journey to get to the place where I can give him glory. And so I said, well, look, here's the deal. 
Um, you know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian and, and look, my car uh, is dying. The other one, you've, you've seen it. They all knew my car. It had a, 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 almost had a sunroof. I was getting a sunroof put in, uh, in the top of it. I just needed about that much more rust and I would have been able to punch it through. The sunroof would, would be there. But, uh, and so I said, look, here's the deal. I said, look, I, 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 I need a car because yeah, my other one's dying. So anyway, look, yeah, my, 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 my God knows that I needed a car and I asked him to, to give me some wisdom and help me get one. I said, you're not going to believe this, but these friends of mine who are also Christians, I said, they're moving down to Melbourne and they felt like they would have given me the car. I'll just give you the story and I'll make sure that God gets glorified in the story. You decide what you want to do with it, you know? You can think I'm stupid, you can, but I'll just give you the story. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you've got the opportunity to attach God and give him glory, or you can still share the story, but just leave God off. And maybe, maybe the glory goes to my friend for being such a great mate. Oh, I wish, wish I had friends like that. Just give me cars, that'd be great. Well, it's, that's not the part of the story that's most important. That's not where the glory should be going. You know, many of you would know the story of Jonathan, our, our middle boy, and when he was born, he, we, 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 uh, he was born in India. And uh, up to 32 weeks, he was a vegetable in Jackie's womb, total vegetable. We had the scans and they were talking about abortions and everything. We threw ourselves on God's mercy one night and just bored like babies. And, you know, we, we, didn't, we weren't, you know, faith and power. It was more paste than flour. Um, and so we cried out to God and literally within 24 hours, we went back for one final scan before they were cutting ties with us. And he was totally healed overnight in her womb. O- overhealed, if you know Johnny, he was overhealed. He's overcooked, that, that boy. Too much life and energy. But you know what? The amount of times that we've had a chance to share that story with people. I remember coming back, I was working on a tomato farm in Jinjin up in Bundaberg one day. And uh, we, were, we were driving along and uh, I happened to be in the car of a girl who was a really strong, devout, outspoken uh, atheist. She had no uh, intention of anything to do with God. But this other girl that was working at the farm as well, was, I was friends with her boyfriend. We played touch football together and she got me the job at the farm. So on the way we'd drive, we'd, we'd carpool. One day, one week I'd drive to Jinjin from Bundaberg and back and the next day she'd do it and, and then the other girl would do it. And this one particular day, we had uh, the atheist girl was driving so she, she couldn't afford to engage or anything. She's focused. And, and Marie, the other girl, turns to me and goes, Alan, tell us that story about Jonathan. And she's not a believer either. So I said, right, well, here's the deal because I'd shared it with them before. And I shared the story how we were over in India and how uh, you know, Johnny was, was diagnosed and he, he, was, he was just a vegetable. And overnight, we prayed and we sought God and God healed him. And I shared this story and I said, look, I can't explain it to you. All I can do is this. We believe in God. We believe that God heals. And so we cried out to God, God, would you do this for us? And God did it. Here's the story and I'm going to give him the glory and you decide what you want to do with it. You want to know what you did with it? About 10 years later, I found out the story. She got married to her boyfriend that had a child child was born when the child was born there were some major complications with the baby when it came out and the doctors couldn't do anything and she all of a sudden thinks what we should do she says to her husband we need to take him to a christian person they need to pray for him i wonder where the thought came from i wonder where that thought came from so they did they took their baby to this uh pastor aog pastor i think it was in bundaberg and he prayed for the baby and guess what they got their own story now and what's even more exciting about that is that child's now being brought up in the church. Mum and dad both got saved as a result of that, you know. And you trace that back and I go, God, I'm so glad that I didn't give in to the pressure or the fear or whatever, the temptation to just leave God out of the story, you know. Just share the good story, share the goodness, but, but leave God out of it. And when we do that, 
all we're doing is we're literally robbing God of the glory that is due to his name. When God does things in our world, we need to glorify God. That's our response. Don't be like the nine lepers who said, it's great, I've got what I want. Now I'm just simply going to go back to the life I had before I had my need in the first place. I'm just going to go back to everything else. We need to realize that when God does something in our life, there's a response to that. And that response is twofold. It's to worship God and give him thanks for that. But it's also to publicly declare the goodness of God upon our lives when the opportunity arises. We're afraid of doing that sometimes because we don't want to be weirdos and free. And I, I get all that. I, I, I understand all that. But there comes a point in time where we've got to draw a line in the sand in our life and go, you know what? If I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of God expanding and growing, then I have to decide that at every given opportunity I have, I'm going to give God the glory. Every chance that he gives me, every opportunity that comes my way, every time I get that chance, and there's that little bit of fear and that little bit of, oh, what will they think? What if they, you know, don't bow to it. We need to be people that take what God has done and that we be prepared to give God back his glory. Christy, do you want to come up? and I'm just going to finish up and, and pray for us. You know, some of the most frustrated people in the world, I believe, and discontented people in the world are Christians who haven't gotten this yet. They want God's hands. They want him to do everything for them. But then they just want to take that and they just want to go back out there into the life they had or the world they live in without giving any of the glory back to God. So there's this frustration on the inside of them. It's almost like you're trying to live with a foot 100% committed in both camps. You can't do it. It's too hard. I either care more about what people think or I care more about what God thinks. You can't live on the middle road of both. But here's what I've found. When I care more about what God thinks, I don't end up looking like a clown and a widow. Now, the Bible says that Jesus grew in stature with God and favor with men and God. I don't know if anyone else has been more radical for their faith than Jesus. Yet he still maintained a place where he was able to be respected and not looked upon as a complete freak and weirdo. And, you know? When Jackie and me got married, I want you to imagine this if you're married. If you're not married yet, I want you to imagine your partner one day. Imagine if Jackie had come up to me just the day before the wedding and said, look, Al, here's the deal. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to be your bride. No, no problem. I want, I want to be your bride. But can we keep it on the down low that you're my bridegroom? And I'm serious. I'll go through with it. I want to go through with this process because I want you to be my provider and I want you to look after me and I want you to, 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 to you know, help me get along in life. I want to do the rest of my days with you because I love you. But can we just keep it on the on the quiet? I just was thinking about that last night and I thought, I wonder how I'd feel. I wonder how I'd feel. Anyone ever done something great at work? And then a colleague or a co-worker stood up and taken the glory for it. Anyone ever had that? I have to deal with that quite a lot. I'd come up with a great idea, I'd instigate the program, I'd do the thing, and 
somebody else would be in the office talking to someone further up the food chain telling them about their great idea and I'd be like okay I reckon God probably feels a bit that way sometimes too we're blessed by God make a decision make a decision because that's what it is it's a decision and a choice when this leper walked back to Jesus he knew a couple of things number one he knew that he was walking back into a crowd he knew that he was going to have to find Jesus he knew that he was going to have to walk it was going to take effort and deliberation to do it he also knew that the other nine were walking the other way he just knew it and I just know that if I commit myself to giving God glory I just know that you know sometimes people might not get it sometimes people might not understand it my, my relationship with God has cost me friends over the years not because I'm weird but frankly because I think they are what? you mean you're not interested in a God that loves you unconditionally that has more grace for you than any one you could possibly imagine that believes in you more than any other human being you've ever met that sees potential in you greater than any other person has ever seen I'm interested in that okay I find that weird myself but you just know that nine are going to walk that way but I want to be that one that goes this way and I wonder down the track when we do give glory to God every time we give glory to God it's seed planting and who knows what can come of that I know this because of one moment in time where I gave glory to God. There's now a family worshipping Him. It's worth it. It's worth it. Father, thank you for today, Lord. And God, thank you for the testimony and the story of these uh, 10 lepers, God. Thank you for your unconditional grace, Lord. You, you healed them regardless. God, your grace upon them was not dependent upon their ability to acknowledge that grace. You just healed them, 10 of them. But Lord, one of them made it into the pages of the Bible. One of them is recorded forever as being a worshipper of Jesus. God, one of them is recorded forever as having stood in a crowd and declared that they were once lepers and you healed them. And Father, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that we would be the one, that we would be the people, God, that give glory back to you, Father. We're not here, uh, Lord, on earth for the short amount of time to just simply build up a reputation for ourselves. God, we don't exist as a rise to build a reputation up for us as a church or a denomination or a name. But God, we want to build up the reputation in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, help us this week as we go out into the world. Lord, Help us recognize those moments where we have to make a choice. We can give God glory right now or we can rob it from him. Remind us, God, I pray, of this, this leper when we're in that situation, Father. And Lord, I pray... God, a blessing upon each of us in this uh, room, God. Safe travels as we go home. Look after us this week, God. Protect us. And Lord, I do pray this week, give us opportunity to share your grace and your mercy with somebody that doesn't yet know you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. And uh, give God all the glory you can possibly do because you've only got a short amount of time to do it. When you're up there, it'll be too late. Everyone's going to turn around and go, I know that. I know that. Duh.
down here they might go, oh, really? 